So our passage from the Old Testament today is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And the second reading for today is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 to 43. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned into the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Thank you. All right. Can we all just stand up for a sec, have a bit of a spin around, sit back down. We've been sitting down for a while. All right, grab a seat. Well, if you could do anything you wanted, anything you could ever want, and know for a fact that you would never get caught for it, what would you do? I wonder what would you do? If you knew you'd never, you would never face any punishment for it. No consequences. What would you do? Some of you are thinking that sounds pretty good, right? No more assignment handing in. All right? No, more, no consequences. I could finally tell that teacher what I thought of him. No more consequences. Maybe I would go into the Apple store in Sydney, stock up on a couple things, because there's no more consequences, right? I reckon... At some level, a world without consequences can sound pretty good. It sounds quite free. I wonder, as you're thinking right now, what the things you would do, what they are, it can sound pretty good. Except that a world with no consequences is a world with no justice. No justice. And suddenly, that world doesn't seem so good, does it? 
Imagine a world with no justice, a world where people didn't get what they deserved for the things that they did. In 2011, Sean Morgan found his neighbour's three-year-old daughter walking near his house. He suffocated her with a plastic bag. Imagine a world where he didn't get justice for that. Just last year, a guy called Chris Watts said he wanted to be free, and so he killed his pregnant wife and his two daughters. Imagine if he didn't get what he deserved. Imagine a world with no justice. Bigger, Pol Pot was a political leader in Cambodia. Millions of people, his people, died because of him. A quarter of his country starvation, torture, execution. He never got justice here. He died peacefully in his sleep. A world without justice. How does that make you feel? I reckon deep down we all feel the need for consequences. We feel an innate need for justice. Here's the thing we're looking at tonight in the future of everything. God has promised justice. He has promised that he will judge. And as we look at this tonight, the future of everything, we're going to be looking at hell. And can I just level with you for a sec before we do this? I found this a really hard thing to write. I found it really hard. There were times when I was angry (laughs) as I was writing it. And there were times when I was really sad. There were times when I cried. (laughs) Because this stuff can be really hard to think about. And you might feel that tonight and that's okay. But it is such a vital thing that we do. This is such a vital and important part of the future of everything that we've got to give the time to looking at this. Because this stuff is not a spectator sport. This thing affects everything. Hell affects everything those we love, our friends, our family. And so I want to be very clear at the outset before we dig into this. These are not just my opinions on hell. We're just going to go through what the Bible says about hell. Because God has revealed to us in His Word all this stuff for a reason. Why would He do that? Why would He speak so much about this place? Because it's a warning to every single one of us, don't go there. Don't go there. And so would you pray with me before we start, asking that no matter what the Bible says tonight, we would follow it. Let's pray. Father God, we, we want to know what is true. We know that we can be so easily swayed by the things that we think, uh, the opinions that we've heard. But you promise that your spirit will guide us into all truth. And so I pray that he will do that now as we look into your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray that no one here would go to the place that we speak of tonight. Amen. All right, well, before we go and look straight into judgment, there's something we've got to do before that. Because I'm convinced that if you don't understand this first point, you will not get the rest. This is a key thing that we've got to get. If you're taking notes, do that. What page are we in? 
14. We're in page 14. Here's the first thing if you're writing notes. God is holy. God is holy. It's necessary that before we get into anything else, we look at this point. Because whenever anyone gets anything about this stuff wrong, whenever someone thinks hell can't be eternal, hell can't be real, when you drag it back, this is the thing that they get wrong every time. The big thing that people get wrong is their picture of who God is, what he's like. Time and time again, the Bible describes God as holy, He is completely different to us. He is completely separate to us, other than us. He is holy. All throughout the Bible we see that, and he shows that by the things he does and the way that he interacts. And there's multiple parts of this, right? We're going to look at it in two. The first is that God is perfectly good and loving. What a truth that is, right? God is perfectly good and loving. I just want you to listen to these verses from the Bible about God and just soak them in. And feel how good they are. Psalm 100 verse 5. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 92 15. The Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. 1 John chapter 4. God is love. Deuteronomy 32. Oh, praise the greatness of God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just, a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Daniel 4, all his works, everyone, are right and his ways are just. What a picture of our God, right? That's the God you follow. He's starting to get the picture. He's perfectly good. He's perfectly loving and faithful and kind and fair. Everything he does we should look at and go, that's perfect. Because in everything he does, he is perfect. He has proven himself time and time and time again. He's loving. He loves people more than you could ever imagine. The people that you love, he loves more. (laughs) He loves you more than you could imagine. And he's good. Everything he does, right. Everything he does, good. Everything he does, perfect. No evil in him, no wickedness in him, no wrong. God is perfectly good and he's perfectly loving. But that's not all God is. (laughs) Because a part of God being holy is that he is fiercely angry at sin. Our God is fiercely angry. And he always has been. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, our God has always been fiercely angry at sin. There are some confronting passages about this stuff. In Nahum chapter 1, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. In the New Testament, speaking of judgment in Revelation 19... Jesus, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. God is angry at sin. And it's not some evil-minded, short-tempered anger. I think when we think of anger, that's the first thing we think of, right? This is not like God's anger. He's not rubbing his hands in anticipation of this anger. It's a right and a necessary reaction to evil. He doesn't delight in it. Ezekiel 33, 11, 
As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. He doesn't delight in punishing the wicked, but he is so fiercely angry at it, he is so holy that he has to. He is fiercely angry at evil. When I hear of evil, I'm angry at it, right? When we heard of those people at the start, Sean Morgan, Chris Watts, Paul, Paul Pot, I'm angry. Did that make you angry when you heard those things? Imagine the holy God of the universe. He is angry at sin and perfectly loving and perfectly good. It's who he is. And guys, that is a trustworthy God, no matter what. That is a trustworthy God. You know, that's, that's kind of what the Bible is. <laughs> it's, it's a picture of time and time and time again, God showing how perfect He is, how holy He is, how trustworthy He is. This is a long book, right? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in it. Because He's done that so many times. He's shown that so many times. I've been reading this thing for years. And yet this morning I was struck at how beautiful and holy our God is. And the more I read it, the more I go, oh God, I can trust you and stuff. Even when there's times where I go, I don't know what's going on. Even in there's times where I just, I can't fully wrap my head around it or fully understand it. The more I see the way that God has acted throughout history, the more I can go, oh, I trust you. And so be people who read the word be people who read it and go, yes, God, you are loving and kind and good and fair and just and perfect and holy. The more you read this, the more you'll be able to do those things, be people of the word. But the question is, if God is that, if he is perfectly good and he is that angry at sin, why is the world the way it is? Why are there people like we spoke of at the start? Why is this place so messed up? Why don't people get what they deserve? Where is the justice? Well, the Bible gives the answer and it gives it so clearly. It's a beautiful promise that justice is coming. It's coming. And so here's the second big thing for tonight. Jesus will judge everyone. Jesus will judge everyone. So get your Bibles with me and flick to Acts chapter 17. In this passage, you've got Paul preaching to a chunk of people. He's telling them about Jesus. Acts chapter 17. Verse 30. 17 verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because why? For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul is super clear, right? There is a day coming where God is going to judge the world, everyone, with the person that he's chosen. He has set a date. It's circled in his calendar. There is a day coming when he will make justice. And he's going to do it by the man he's chosen, Jesus. 
And how do you know it's Jesus? Well, check out verse 31. He will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed or chosen. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so as Jesus rises from the dead, that's God going, that's your judge. The one who's risen is the one who will judge. That is the proof. And he will judge every person. He will judge the world, it said there. Every person judged by Jesus. Everyone who's ever lived. If, if, if people are alive when Jesus returns, they will be judged by him. If people have died when Jesus returned, he will raise them and he will judge them. Jesus will judge each one of you. Jesus will judge me. Right now, the world keeps going. It keeps spinning because he's being patient and giving us a chance to turn back. It's his love and his kindness. But there will come a day when he goes, that's enough. Today is the day for justice by Jesus. We demand justice. (laughs) Imagine God. Imagine God. Every person judged for every deed they've done. Ecclesiastes 12 says, For God will bring into judgment, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. If you think you can escape the judgment of God, you should get by now that you can't. Every person, every deed. We will sit in front of the risen Jesus and he will judge us including every hidden thing. Nothing escapes the judgment of Jesus. Everything that I've ever done, he's seen. Every word I've ever spoken, he's heard. Every thought that I've ever had against people, he knows it. This is a terrifying thing for me. If you guys knew those things about me, I'd be terrified. But the holy God of the universe... There are no secrets with the Lord. He knows our motives, our thoughts. He knows when I act really loving to someone, but secretly am hateful. He knows everything. And there's a day coming when Jesus will judge the world with justice. It's going to be like this huge courtroom. Has anyone seen a courtroom, either in person or in the movies? It's going to be a huge courtroom. But instead of like a Judge Judy, you're going to have Judge Jesus judging people, every person for every deed. It is a thorough judgment. Now, I don't know how you feel when you hear that, right? I think judgment can be quite a, quite a weird thing for people. Some people love it, but people can think that judgment is a bad thing. But judgment is not a bad thing. It's a good thing because it puts things right. And it shows that God really cares. God has promised his people, I'm sending a king. He will bring justice. He'll put a stop to evil. All that wickedness he will get rid of. He'll bring justice. It'll it'll put things right. Last night, right, we saw that the new creation is free from sin. No more groaning in creation. How does that happen? Judgment. There has to be justice. There's no heaven without judgment. We need judgment. He will make everything right. And it shows that he really cares about what goes on here. Imagine this, right? 
Imagine you're at school, normal day at school, and then Steve comes up to you. Oh, Steve, right? You got Steve. And he walks up to you and he looks you straight in the eye, dead in the eye, and he just tells you what happens in Endgame. And you're, oh, oh, <laughs> right, right? That's terrible. And you're like, my da- my, maybe my life is ruined, but definitely today is ruined, right? Steve, oh. Right, and then he just grabs your iPhone, puts it in a bucket of water he's holding, just chucks it in there, and you're like, Steve, I don't even know who you are. Like, what's happening? Why are you doing this? And you're looking for some rice to put the phone in. Apparently that dries it out, right? And you're just freaking out. And then Steve just slaps you in the face. You're like, Steve. And then backhand as well, like forehand, backhand, side hand. That's like a karate chop or something, right? Steve is just, he's going crazy and you think he's done. He just smears poo in your face. And you're like, Steve, what poo is that? Like, you don't know what's happening. You're shocked. You're slapped. You're, pe- you're poo smeared. Steve, right? Worst dude. And so you go up to your teacher, poo smeared and such. You're like, miss. <laughs> She's like, yes, what? And you're like, Steve's the worst. He did all this stuff. He's a crazy poo bandit. <laughs> miss Steve, right? Now imagine she looked at you and she goes, ah. Steve. <laughs> what? <laughs> ah, Steve. Endgame is ruined. My iPhone is broken. I'm slapped and smeared with poo. What? Ah, Steve. What does that show about that teacher? She doesn't care about you at all, right? She, she sucks. Yes, she sucks. She doesn't care about you. She doesn't care what happens to you. What would she do if she really cared? Well, She'd make crazy Steve the poo bandit stop. That's one. She'd make sure that Steve had real consequences for what he did. And she'd do her best to fix what had happened, right? That's how she would show that she cared about the wrongs that were done to you. Will God let evil go on forever? The the answer the Bible gives is no, he cares too much about you to do that. He cares too much about the people he's made to do that. Evil will stop. God will stop it. There will be a fair punishment for evil. He will right the wrongs that were done. He will wipe away the tears that were caused. Sometimes we might not feel like the world is actually that bad because we've got it pretty good. We might think, you know, why does God really need to punish this evil? It doesn't seem that bad you've got to look outside the bubble, right? There are millions of people starving because of the greed of a few. There are people your age, hundreds of thousands a year, sold into sex slavery by people. They cry out for justice. Other people cry out. When we suffer, we cry out for justice. There is real evil in this world. And a God who doesn't judge it, doesn't care, and doesn't love. But that's not the God we have. We have a God who's going to put things right, who will judge fairly. And judgment is a good thing. It'll correct the wrongs. He's set a day when he will judge every person for every deed by Jesus. In Revelation 19, God has poured out his anger. He's poured out his judgment. And you know what his people reply to him? Hallelujah. 
Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. God's love demands judgment and we should praise him that he is a holy God who does that. Jesus will judge every person for every deed. And so the question is, what is that punishment? What does that punishment look like? Here's the third thing we'll see tonight. The punishment for sin is hell. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else. (laughs) He spoke about it more than he spoke about heaven. That might seem a bit odd, right? Why would he do that? Well, like we said at the start, he loves. If hell is a real place that we are headed towards, the most loving thing for him to do is warn us. Don't go there. And so right now it's not fun to talk about hell, but it's the most loving thing to do. Because if people are heading there, we've got to warn them. Here's what he had to say. Come to Matthew 13. It was read read earlier for us. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about hell. Part of the important reason for doing that is people have come up with their own ideas about what hell is like. It's important we go straight back to the Bible and see what it has to say. Matthew 13. Thirty-seven. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. Here's what will happen. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And so what do we notice from that passage? What will hell be like from that passage? A blazing furnace with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And who will be there? Everything that causes sin and all who do evil. It's the punishment for sin. The punishment for sin against God is hell. And that's just one of the many times that Jesus spoke about hell. We'll see more in a second. But the first thing to note is that hell is real. It is a real place. It's not a metaphor for feelings. It's not just symbolism. It's not just a state of mind. It's a physical place. Hell is real. Secondly, hell is terrible. It's terrible. It's a place of conscious torment. It'll be fair, but it will be terrible. And it's worth saying here that as you go through the Bible and you, and you hear lots about it, there's a lot of it that is imagery, right? So it'll say that it's a blazing furnace, it's a big fire, and then it'll say it's the darkness. Well, if you've seen a fire, it's kind of hard to be 
fire and darkness at the same time, right? It's, it's, it's not, this isn't saying that hell isn't real, it really is, but it's just saying that the Bible's trying to give us words that we get to describe something that we could not possibly understand. The pain of a fire, the, the, how scared you are of the darkness, it's meant to get those feelings, right? So I don't know if there'll be fire or darkness, and I don't really care. Those pictures are enough to frighten me. They're enough to scare me. And those images are used because the reality is so terrible. It is so terrible that we cannot possibly understand it fully. Just picture those things, and you've got a picture of hell. Now, people like to, they like to talk about hell as if it's the cool place. It'll be where all the interesting people are. TV shows like to show this. Heaven's the boring place. Hell's the cool place. Satan runs the show. All the interesting people are there. Everyone's doing what they want. That is not the picture that the Bible gives us of hell. Satan doesn't even run the show. Matthew 25, 41, Revelation 20. Satan is punished in hell. The devil will be punished in hell. It's not the place where the interesting people hang out. It's where evil people are punished terribly. Punished by God, the holy God. Hell is terrible. Thirdly, hell is eternal. In Matthew 25, verse 46, speaking about the day of judgment, I think it'll come up. And it says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So it gives you two groups of people, just two. One group receives eternal life, the kingdom of God, the new creation, restored, reunited, right? One other group receives eternal punishment. The same word, eternal, forever, never-ending. As eternal as heaven is, so is hell. You can't pick and choose which one you want to be eternal. They're both eternal. Hell isn't a once-for-all anger from God that destroys a person. It's not death. It lasts forever and ever. It's eternal. And because of how bad this is, Christians have tried to argue that it's not the case, that it couldn't be eternal. They'll say that hell is just... God destroys people at death and then Christians go and live forever in the new creation, right? But the Bible just doesn't teach it. The Bible doesn't say it. Revelation 14, verse 11. Come, come to it with me. Revelation 14. I said yesterday that we'd be in Revelation a lot. This is one of the most intense verses in the Bible, I reckon. From verse 10. It's talking about those who reject Jesus. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image. Wow. It's an intense verse, isn't it? 
I don't enjoy thinking about that. I've cried over that verse too many times. Hell is eternal. And number four of this, hell is irreversible. It's irreversible. Listen to Luke chapter 16. This is a a parable that Jesus told. There's a guy dead in hell. It says this, verse 25. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And here's what it says about the irreversible. And besides this, between us and you... A great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can, you cross, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Hell is, hell is irreversible. Once someone arrives in hell, that is their destination forever. It's not a place where you get punished for a while until you see that Jesus is Lord and you go to heaven. Hell is irreversible. You are there for good. And there's no reason to suggest that anyone in hell wants to get out, is repentant. Jesus said that hell is real, it is terrible, it is eternal, and it's irreversible. And because Jesus the fair is judging it, only those who deserve to be there will be there. But I want to stop and ask a question that I reckon a lot of you guys are asking right now. Is that too harsh? Is that too harsh or is it, is it too much? If someone even spent 70 years committing terrible crimes, isn't eternal punishment too extreme for that? What about less, right? What if it's someone not even that bad? Someone who's lived 30 years of sin. Eternal punishment? Is it too harsh? I reckon you can answer this on two levels. Firstly, punishment, even even here on earth, right, has nothing to do with the amount of time it took to commit the crime. It takes a minute to kill someone, they go away for 30 years. It's got nothing to do with the time, it's about the action that you do. Is it unfair that people go away in jail for that long now? No. We know that's not the case. Time doesn't set the punishment. Secondly... And the bigger one is, you measure how serious something is by what it is and who it's against. And so what is sin if that's what's earned hell? Sin is breaking God's commands. And it shows itself in any number of ways. In lying, in cheating, in hating, a whole bunch of others. When I asked you at the start what you would do if there were no consequences, if you were really honest with yourself then, really honest, some of the answers there would have been horrible. Our hearts lean towards breaking God's commands. They lean towards sin and evil. And whether you acknowledge it or not doesn't make a difference. You have broken God's commands. Sin is against God. The God we saw at the start. And we get this wrong, I reckon, right? We think that if I, if I lie to you, then I've sinned against you. And that's right, I do. But the bigger thing going on is that I've sinned against God as I do that. We're, we're too human-centered. We only think of what affects me, what affects us as people. But every time we go against the God who made us, we chuck him off, we tell him to get stuffed, and we don't want a bar of him. 
every, every sin we commit is an act of going against our ruler. David, right, a guy from the Old Testament, he ended up being a pretty dodgy dude. He, he stole another guy's wife, slept with her, and, and that's pretty terrible, right? But then he got that guy killed. Now, you, you hear that and you go, well, he clearly sinned against that guy, right? Took his wife, got him killed. That's not a good thing to do to him. But check out what he says in Psalm 51 as he's reliving and thinking and repenting over that sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. He's speaking to God and he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. He gets that his sin is against his God, the God who made him, the holy God. Every sin we commit is a serious, serious thing. Because the seriousness of something depends on what it is and who it's done to. Imagine this. You you walk down the street and you see a man cutting up a worm. And you think, that's a pretty weird thing to do. I probably wouldn't do that. It's a bit gross. You probably wouldn't tell anyone about it because it's just a bit weird and somewhat creepy, right? But he's doing that. He's a weirdo. But now imagine that you'd walk past him and he was cutting up a cat. For some reason, it's a bit worse than a worm. You'd probably, I don't know, you'd call the RSPCA or the cops. It's pretty weird, right? Imagine if he was cutting up a Labrador. Now, that's heaps worse than a cat, right? That's heaps worse. It's scaling up, it's scaling up. Now, imagine... What would your reaction be if you walked past someone cutting up a kid? Now that's not a... Imagine that! That's that's no longer a joke. Hey, that's not like the worm or the cat. That's disgusting. That man would go to jail for his whole life. He should be locked up for ages. It's the same act. But when done against different people, scaling up, it is much, much worse. And so the real answer to the question of, is hell too harsh, is no, because of who God is and what we've done. The holy God we've sinned against. To sin against the infinitely valuable, infinitely good, eternally good creator of the universe demands an infinite and eternal punishment. And so if you think hell is still too harsh, you've not got how big your sin is. You've not got how bad it is, how good God is. Any sin is hideously evil in the sight of the holy God because that's who it's against. We all deserve hell. That's something we don't like to hear, is it? Even I don't like to hear it as I say it. I deserve hell. On the day of judgment, when Jesus judges the world, every person, every deed, we will see how evil we are. We will see just how bad our sin is, just how serious our crime against God is. And we won't question his judgment. He is true in all he does, right in his judgments. Hell is real, 
Hell is terrible. Hell is eternal. And hell is irreversible. How does that sit? But if there is one thing that I want you to walk away with tonight knowing, it's this last one. Hell is avoidable. It's avoidable. We all deserve to go there because of the way we've treated God. But here's the last thing we're going to see tonight. And if you walk away getting this, it will change everything. Jesus offers to rescue anyone from there for free. Anyone for free. And here is where we will see the love and mercy of God on full display. Because he doesn't just leave us there with no way to escape it. He doesn't just leave us with no way out. He offers us rescue. He offers us salvation, a saving. Come with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is the thing that will change your life. But more than that, this is the thing that will change your eternity. This is the biggest, one of the biggest sentences you will ever read in your life. The greatest news you'll ever hear. The most scandalous thing you'll ever hear. 1 Peter 3, 18. I want you to look at it. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ, Jesus, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus, the righteous, the good, the sinless, the innocent, the perfect, he suffered for sin for us, the unrighteous, the bad, the sinful, the guilty. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just an ordinary person's death. He was suffering for sin once for all. But it wasn't his sin. He didn't have any. He was the righteous, the perfect, the sinless, the guiltless, the innocent. Jesus took your sin on himself. He was punished for the things that I'd done wrong. He was punished for the sins that you've committed so that you could be brought back to God, so that hell is avoidable. On the cross, Jesus was in the place that you should have been in. But because of him and what he's done, you can be safe forever. Wow. You know, I don't get scared about a lot of things, but lightning is a pretty scary thing for me. <laughs> I feel like it's going to hit me at any time. It never has yet. But lightning is scary stuff, right? Someone gets hit by lightning, they're a goner. It is so powerful. And so to keep us safe from lightning, we put up things called lightning rods. Do you know what lightning rods do? They're a massive metal pole and you stick them up nice and high so that when lightning strikes, it's drawn to the lightning rod, it absorbs all of it and keeps everyone else safe. We have deserved the full force of the bolt of God's anger. His wrath at our sin is white hot and should strike us at any moment. But Jesus has stepped up and acts as the best lightning rod you'll ever hear. 
absorbs the full weight of God's judgment against sin, all of his anger and his wrath against our sin against him, absorbed into Jesus. Jesus' death existed because God was punishing him for our sin, all of its fullness, all of its power, harnessed in on one man in the history of ever. A death so powerful that if you trust in Jesus, all your sin is erased. You are safe from the judgment that is coming. The anger of God towards you, you are safe. The wrath of God against the sin you've committed, you're safe. Anything you've done in the past, however bad, safe. Anything you've done today, safe. Anything you will ever do, safe. If your trust is in Jesus because he has absorbed the fullness of God's judgment, the righteous suffered for your sin to bring you to God, to save you from hell. If you are trusting in Jesus, if you're a Christian, then on that day when you stand on the courtroom of history and it comes time for you to be judged, God looks at you and says, your sin has already been paid for. Welcome to the new creation. I punished your sin in Jesus. You're free the new creation, not hell, the new creation. He's forgiven us if we're in Jesus. Isn't that an incredible thing to hear? Isn't that an, doesn't that blow your mind? What Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus suffered in the place where I should have been, in my place. We learned a song this morning, and we're going to sing it again in a bit, and it nails this idea of Jesus in our place. The Lamb of God, Jesus, in my place. Your blood poured out, my sin erased. It was my death, you died. I am raised to life. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. Will you trust in Jesus? Will you trust in Him? His hand is stretched out, offering to pull you up out of the depths of judgment. It's out. Will you take it? Will you trust in Jesus? Or will you choose to send yourself to hell? They're the options. What possible reason, after hearing this, would you willingly choose hell? Jesus is offering you the way out. He's died in your place. It's done if you would trust him. And so put your trust in Jesus. Come back to God. Do it tonight. I trust that there are people tonight who want to do that, who have seen their future, have seen what Jesus has done to erase it and what he's brought them into and want it. And if that's you, I'm speaking just to you right now, do it. Don't let anything stop you from doing that. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray three things that I want you to pray, if that's what you want. The first is I'm going to say, I'm sorry for my sin. We've seen how serious our sin is tonight. I'm going to say, God, I'm so sorry for the way I've treated you. 
We're going to pray, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, that he died in my place, taking my sin upon himself and being punished for me. Thank you. And please, please help me to live a life now that honours you with what I do. We're going to do that in a moment. If that's for you, hold on to that. But if you are already trusting in Jesus, if you're already a Christian tonight, you've got to remember hell. Don't be someone who forgets about it because you've already been saved from it. You've got to remember what should have been your future and let that shape and change and mould your life now. We're going to see in the next couple of talks what this looks like, but I reckon there's two quick ones for tonight. And the first one is super obvious. Be so thankful for Jesus. We can get lost because we hear about it so much, but what Jesus has done for us, we should never get tired of hearing. Do you see what you deserved, how serious your sin is? Do you see what he went through for you? Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. And the second one is, after hearing this, how can you not want to spread the gospel? How can you not want to warn people what's coming? How can hearing this make you want to do anything but just bail and tell your mates, your family? If we don't evangelise, if we don't warn people of where, we're, where they're going, we're saying that we either don't think that hell is real or that we do, but we're happy for them to go there. We've got to warn people where they're going. And so tonight, who will you pray for? Who will you plead with God to save? What are you going to do about it when you get home? What are you going to change? You've got the message that can save them. Warn them, spread the gospel. It brings, knowing hell brings a seriousness and an urgency to everything we do. Be thankful for Jesus. Spread the gospel. I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray those things before. And so if that's you tonight, and you want to take Jesus up on his offer, I'm going to pray, sorry for my sin. Thank you for Jesus. Please help me to live. So if you want to trust Jesus, become a Christian tonight, that's from you. Be saved from God's anger forever, brought into the new creation. This is for you. Let's pray. God, against you and you only have I sinned. I know that my rejection of you and the way that I've treated you in my life deserves punishment, deserves hell. God, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending him to earth. Thank you for the perfect life that he lived. And thank you so much for his death in my place. Thank you that you poured out anger on him instead of me. That you punished him for my sin so that I can be saved from hell and brought to you. Thank you for Jesus. And please, I ask that you'd help me to live from you now on. 
living in a way that isn't against you, but in a way that honours you? Would you help me live a life for Jesus? Amen.